You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. Welcome again, everybody online. Great to be with you all today. As always, if it's your first time, we sure hope it's not your last. Uh, we are looking at some, as you can see from the video there, some theology. That's just a big word. I mean, some God thoughts. One week each about singleness, about marriage, and about parenting. Because, like I said last week, over the last two years, and certainly you've seen this, and you've felt this, and know I've felt this, our staff has felt this, there have been so many things that have just sort of shaken loose in ourselves, in our culture, in our relationships, and we've just had a front row seat to so many challenges with relationships that I wanted to take just a few weeks to try to hopefully help with respect to our singles, to our marrieds, and to our parents. So uh, if you're single today and you're here, or if you're brand new and somehow you missed last week's message, please consider going back and finding that one online because singles, again, you have not been left out. Let the record show that you actually went first in this series. Thank you very much. And even what you're going to hear today about the topic of Christian marriage has been shaped with our singles in mind. All right, so with all that at hand, let's go now and look at a famous or infamous, for some of you, Bible passage that is one of, though not the only, passage about marriage in the Bible. It's Ephesians 5, 21 through 32. Here we go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, the people of God, if you know the context, in the Old Testament, they've been carried away uh, into exile. Uh, they've rejected their covenant with God, and judgment came upon them. They've been conquered by the Babylonians, forcibly relocated to the ancient city of Babylon. And while they're there, understandably hating the place to which they've been brought and the people that have brought them there, the word of the Lord came to those Jewish exiles through the prophet Jeremiah. And God said to them through Jeremiah chapter 29, he says, here is my word to you. He says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the place in which you find yourself. Pray for your city. Pray for your nation. Yeah, even if it's wicked and awful, don't curse the place where you live. Instead, here's what I want you to do. 
get married, have children, and seek to build up the place where you live. Because if it prospers, you prosper. That's pretty good logic. It is. But what's God saying? Well, among many things there, he's saying this. That marriage can be, in part, a redemptive space and agent in the world. No matter when or where you live. Marriages are part, he's saying, uh, what helps promote a stable, safe, prosperous culture, nation, city, marriage, therefore, I'd say is pretty crucial to at least try to get right. So let's do that today. In my heart, uh, I hope like God's heart as we go through this, which is that no matter where you're coming from and no matter why you find yourself in this city, in this nation, that if and when you get married, it would be something that would be a blessing to you and to those around you. Okay, so to help us get to that place, thankfully, the Bible does give us some resources, and again, maybe none more famous or infamous, <laughs> depending on how you look at it, as Ephesians 5. And so I'll say this, here's my last disclaimer and asterisk before I get going. Do I reserve the right to add more as I go? All right. <laughs> There's no way that I can get to, in one week, everything about the topic of marriage. You say, well, Morgan, that's true, but isn't this kind of your own fault? Like, you only picked one week for this, all right. But if you would like to hear more about the topic, Carrie and I actually did two incredible messages, if I do say so myself, last month for our marriage event, and they're on our website. You can search for them and find them. All right. So with all this in mind, let me give you now four resources I think this passage gives to help us in marriage, that blessed arrangement that brings us together today. Come on, now we've seen the princess bride. All right, anyway, all princess bride jokes aside, let's ask, this is not going to get any better, by the way. Them's the jokes. All right, you get what you get. Let's ask, what can help us create those redemptive spaces in the world? We need four things here from Ephesians 5. First is a better metaphor, a better model, a better mind, excuse me, ministry, and a better mystery. A better metaphor, model, ministry, and a deeper mystery. Here we go. Number one, let's look at a, a better metaphor. We need a better metaphor for marriage. Why? It's because usually when marriage is brought up in, in a passage or something like is read like Ephesians 5, or let's say you're talking about marriage with your friends or buddies or in a community group or whatever, usually people's response is this, man, marriage is really hard. Now, I'm not sure when that thought first hit me, it might have been when Carrie and I got a fight, when, into a fight when we were engaged. We got into this major fight over how much to spend on a friend's wedding gift, like $20 or $25. We're so poor. It might have been on our honeymoon when she beat me like 10 out of 11 times at a card game. I couldn't take it. I was totally mean and awful to her about it. She stormed out of the room. She yelled at me, I will never play cards with you again. Slammed the door on me. Maybe it was having four kids in five years that convinced me marriage was hard. Maybe it was all of it, right? Because marriage can be hard, and saying that is not saying anything that the Bible itself hasn't said. Remember, remember that teaching on marriage that Jesus gave back in Matthew 19? Remember that? At the end of it, when he gives it, the disciples, his own followers, basically look at themselves, throw up their hands and say, who can do this? <laughs> Who can do this? This is really hard, and it is. So let me here now try to give you what's perhaps a better metaphor to help frame marriage, maybe a better metaphor than you came in with. I think 
many of us, maybe most of us, come in thinking that marriage ought to be or is like a beach. A beach. Isn't that nice? You're like, God, I'd rather be there right now, huh? <laughs> the beach is beautiful with the sand and the sunset and the shells and the sound. And you go to a beach to more or less kick back and enjoy the view and the beauty. The beach is a little to no effort place where you enjoy the beauty of what someone else has made. In this case, we would say that God has made. And while there may be, I hope there are, many beach moments in your marriage, some let's lay back and enjoy the view moments, most of the time, that's just not how marriage works. So let me give you a better metaphor for marriage. Not marriage as a beach, but marriage, here it is, as a garden. A garden. Because the garden is still a place, you say, that's lovely, it is, where beauty exists, where there's enormous beauty, but the majority of any beauty in any garden is only due to the deep work that's put, put into it. There can be beauty, there can be amazing fruit and flowers and flourishing, but only because someone has first tilled, tended, planted, watered. Now, both, both my grandfather and my father had these enormous gardens where they grew beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, squash, hogs, corn, dogs, you name it. Sorry, I had to work that in there. If you've never seen that remix on YouTube from Shirley Caesar, you are missing out. Go look at it later. That is not now. Thank you. But they grew, my father, grandfather grew these amazing amounts of fruits and vegetables. How? They had to daily tend and care for the garden, even through the changing of the seasons. A large, fruitful garden, in other words, is a full-time commitment, ongoing too. Therefore, we should not be surprised by how challenging marriage consistently is. We should not be surprised by it, if we're thinking of it like a garden, but of course, we still are. We still get surprised by it. We still get frustrated by it. We still don't like it, that there are always more rocks beneath the surface to dig up. There are always more weeds that keep growing that got to be pulled, more insects to deal with, more animals to chase off. Many of us, especially men, we can resist working in the garden. Some of you men, you're like, I don't like it in the garden. Why is my wife wearing work clothes and covered in dirt? I liked it better when she was in a swimsuit on the beach. All right. Some of you women, you're like, I, I like the smell of the ocean way better than I like the smell of a dirty man. Yes, me too, by the way. Unlike a beach whose beauty is perpetual, the beauty of a garden is always at risk. A beach came that way. A garden was made that way. What the Christian scriptures encourages then, I think, is a view of marriage which is therefore realistic but hopeful. Realistic, but hopeful. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Beauty can be grown. What tools can we use, do we need, while we're in that space? What do we need? Number two, we need, I think, a better model. A better model within the garden. What is it? Let's look at it. The model of Christian marriage I think Paul aims us toward here is what can be called, what I think he calls, mutual submission. Mutual submission. And right there with those two words, I just disappointed all kinds of people. <laughs> because if you were expecting the S word to go away, I can fully understand why. 
or at least as much as a person in my position can because of how it's possibly, possibly been weaponized against you. But that word is not going away, at least in English, it can't go away because it's a Bible word and so we're gonna look at it. But if you were expecting that S word to apply to only one person and you don't like the M word, (laughs) mutual, you're about to be disappointed too. We don't do better, by the way, by hiding people from their Bibles. We do better by understanding them better. So let's try to do that. The model of Christian marriage is what can be called mutual submission. We're gonna look at this in verse 5, 21 in just a moment. Verse 5, chapter 5, that is, chapter 5, verse 21, is not disconnected from this passage on marriage. Instead, this verse kicks off the passage. This verse is the 30,000 foot headline verse please don't miss the forest for the trees verse if I only tell you one thing about marriage remember this for the headline verse about marriage Paul kicks off his teaching on marriage with his command verse 21 submit to what's it say come on one another out of reverence for Christ there is then a mutual submission Paul commands for both parties in marriage men Submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Practice mutual submission, mutual laying down of self, mutual self-giving, mutual promoting of the other within the union. Husbands, make sure you leave no doubt in your wife's mind that you think she is more important than you are. Wives do the same. Make sure your husband knows you think he is way more important than you are. Submit to one another. That word submit, it's the Greek word you may know, hupotasso. Hupotasso. Hupotasso is an interesting word. Hupotasso has two uses. It has a military use and a non-military use, and the meaning changes depending on the context. So let me ask you, which context do you think Paul is using here? Is marriage a military context (laughs) or a non-military context? Wait. Don't answer that, right? (laughs) Why? Because you may have been taught that love is a battlefield. Okay, all right. You're welcome, Gen Xers. Of course, it's a non-military context. And it's non-military use means, therefore, a voluntary coming under, of lifting and supporting, like you're coming underneath something, cooperating with, carrying, lifting something, practice mutual submission, lift one another, carry one another. Paul is saying marriage works when we carry one another. And anything Paul says next can only be understood in that context. So how does each party do this? How does the wife hupotasso her husband? How does the husband hupotasso his wife? How do they practice this model? Look at verse 22. Wives, he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. In other words, to Christian marriage, there is a voluntary consent that the wife gives to allow her husband leadership in a marriage. Now, this is not saying your husband is Christ. This is not saying to obey your husband as if he were Jesus himself. That's bad teaching because nowhere does the New Testament ever tell anyone to submit to and obey the government the same way you'd obey Jesus. Some of you are saying, oh, that's right. You know. And it says to obey your pastor. Those ones I wish it would. 
to obey the same way you obey Jesus? Or never does it command children to obey their parents if their parents are commanding them to do something evil? No, there's only one God, one Lord of your life. Paul makes clear elsewhere. No, Paul's saying, women, hupatasso, esteem your husband in a way that shows you respect and trust him at every turn. You say, well, that's hard. Again, I know, we've established that. We've covered that. Well, let me, let me ask him, put it like this. Do you, do you love Christians here? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus here? You'd say yes, yes. Is it hard to trust Jesus sometimes? Oh yes, it is for me. But I come back and I do it again. Even when I don't understand my love for Jesus, my covenant with him, my allegiance toward him means I try to show Jesus I trust him and honor him at every turn. Now, of course, it's going to be just a little bit harder (laughs) to trust and esteem and respect at all times any finite and flawed person, especially when trust has been damaged. Maybe as a woman today, maybe a wife here, you've only got a little trust towards your husband. I would say, that's okay. It's okay. Jesus said, if all you have is just a little faith, you can move a mountain. What if just a little trust towards your husband could move a mountain in his heart today? I say, well, what if, he's, what if what he's saying is a really bad idea? Let him know. Talk to him about it. This is why God gave us mouths, right? To talk and have conversations. You say, well, lovingly, respectfully, as always, of course. But you say, well, what if there's abuse? All right. If someone's abusing you, call the police, Call the police. Listen, it's never loving to allow someone to abuse you. That's not loving that person at that point. Trusting, esteeming, respecting does not turn anyone into a doormat. You're not lifting someone to greatness if you allow them to abuse you. But now Paul says, yeah, now Paul says something next that's surprising. Surprising. In the context of the practice of mutual submission. He uses that word submit for both parties in 521. Then he uses it again to show how that could look for a wife in 522. But when he gets to husbands in 525, and just where you would expect Paul to use that same word, submit, hupatasso again, to show how that works mutually in a marriage for the husband, he doesn't. Paul doesn't use the word submit, hupatasso. Instead, he uses a different word. Paul uses the central word of the Christian faith, the word that is at the core of the ethic of the teaching and life of Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the word hupotasso. He uses the word agape, agape, love. Now, when you hear that, do you think Paul is calling men to less than wives? Or maybe, maybe more. Verse 25, husbands, agape, love your wives. Just as Christ, agape, loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why does Paul do this? Is he letting men off the hook? No, 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 no. He's not letting them off the hook. He's actually putting them on it. Not backing away from men to hupatasso, their wives. He's pressing them deeper. He's saying, men, here's how in the context of the model of mutual lifting, you lift your wife. You love her in a way that demonstrates an ongoing death to self of you as first. 
You actually give up your rights, give up your privileges, your resources. You come into her world, you feel her pain, you get to know her joys, you seek to lift her to the point where you lay your life down for her. It can even feel like a death to the self because, and by the way, Paul reminds you, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. That's how you submit to, support, hupotasso your wife. What's required is more than just mere submission. And this is almost like the title of a James Bond movie that you would never want to go watch. Not die another day, not tomorrow never dies, not no time to die, not no live and let die, but instead you get to die. All right. <laughs> it's a death to the self, can you see? It's daily self-sacrifice. Don't you know? Don't we remember Christ had to die before he became the head of the church. His sacrifice for his bride came before he was ever esteemed, honored. You say, well, Morgan, what if she's hard to love? <laughs> she might be. She might be. She's a very flawed and finite person like you. Again, Jesus said, if you have just a little faith, you can move a mountain. What if just a little love, sacrificial love, can move a mountain in your wife's heart today. Now at this point, you're all asking all kinds of questions. What are the specifics of this? What are the super duper details? Who's supposed to, you know, bring home the bacon? Who gets to hold the remote? The huge question everybody wants to know. Who should pay the bills? I want to tell you, the Bible doesn't say. And that's a good thing because that would make this teaching culturally located, but it's not. What all this means is this then. Mutual Hupatasso is an ongoing negotiation conversation of how headship and death to the self work itself out in a marriage. Married couples, then you can begin a conversation like this on the way home because I know you've already started one in your head. <laughs> Wives, you can start the question like this. You could ask your husband, dearest, most handsome man I have ever laid eyes on. How can I show you I want to lift, esteem, honor, respect, love you at every turn? How can I do that better? Husbands, you can look, look to your wife and say, oh, dearest, most beautiful woman God has ever made, no question, right? How can I show you I want to lift you, sacrifice for you, right? Love you better, and then listen, listen. And by the way, any conversation about marriage that allows for domination, bullying, abuse, manipulation, rank pulling, or treatment of the other as someone other than an equal made in the image of God cannot be squared with Ephesians 5, the rest of the Christian scriptures, or the love of God. Right? And once again, you're like, this is hard. <laughs> I know, we've been through that, right? But it's not impossible. Here's how I think this model then can be lived out. Number three, we need not just this better metaphor and model, but a better ministry. This word means service. How can the model of service be lived out? Now, here, here we go. Moving on, Paul talks now about men and women, how when they marry, they become like one body, one body. And then Paul goes on to talk about how you take care of a body. He uses these uh, words like washing, cleansing, cleaning to illustrate how we practice mutual Hupatasso in the garden of marriage. It's brilliant. Think about it. When you care for your own body, when you wash, when you clean your own body, first of all, it's a private thing, isn't it? Yeah. You shower or you bathe privately. You use the restroom privately. 
Unless you have toddlers, by the way, and then they come find you no matter where you are, and they knock on the door, and mommy, what are you doing? And daddy, what's happening? And try to hide, try to hide. Now, you cut your fingernails privately. Unless you're a teenager, you do it on the floor, I guess. You wash your face privately, you shave privately, you brush your teeth privately. You allow yourself the most private access to your own most private spaces. And what this means then is this, if you're married, you allow your spouse access to your most private, vulnerable spaces in your life. When you care for your body, you just become vulnerable. Kind of hard to defend yourself from an attack, isn't it? When you're using the restroom, you're just vulnerable when you're caring for your body. And it's the same when you're married. For a marriage to work, you have to be mutually vulnerable, mutually allow access to your private world. In other words, you don't play games to keep the other person out. That's what you do if you're the person who's being cleaned, washed, cleansed. What about if you're the person doing the cleaning, the washing, the cleansing? Uh, All right, if you're the person doing the cleaning, well, how would you do it if it were being done to you? You know, you would never be rough with that sensitive spot. You would never just haphazardly run a razor over a private place. Wouldn't do it. You never just jam that Q-tip down in the ear. You never just speed trim the nails. No, you take your time. You're unbelievably delicate, cautious, sensitive, discreet, and yet you do it. Why? Because the body needs to be cleansed, washed, cared for, that it can be its best self. Verse 29, Paul said, after all, think about it. No one ever hated their own body. They feed it. They care for it, just like Christ does the church. Think about it. If your own skin were burned, you wouldn't ignore the pain, would you? No. You would do everything in your power to heal the burn. Maybe even you would go to a doctor, wouldn't you? Yeah. Maybe a professional would get involved if your body weren't healing properly. And by the way, you should do the same here. If your one flesh, your one body, it's gotten burned, isn't healing properly, just raise your hand. Not now. Not right now. (laughs) Not right now metaphorically, right? Or later. There's no shame in asking for a doctor's help, and there's no shame in asking for a trusted pastor or friend or counselor's help, because do you know what's harder than asking for help sometimes? What's harder is finding out what happens when you don't. Marriage is hard. Getting our hearts clean is hard. Sometimes we need help. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So far, so far. We've heard three things about a metaphor, a model, and a ministry. Where can we get the power to live all this out? It's number four. By looking into a deeper mystery. When you look across the world today, you look at different cultures, you read news headlines, you can see all the kind of ways that marriage can go bad. Uh, In some traditional cultures, maybe you've read about this, seen this stuff, there are what are called honor killings. It's awful. It's terrible. It's uh, something in which one family member, usually a male, will kill another family member, usually a female, for the sake of the honor of the family, uh, to, to, to lift up, to support what that culture views as most important or honorable. Now, that's making marriage as the ultimate thing in your life. And some of us can do the same thing, just in a different way. We can make marriage these, this ultimate thing in our life. So when stuff goes bad or wrong or confusing, instead of seeking to go deeper into the gospel and what it means fall apart. But in general, in the West, I think we don't have that problem. In general, we see marriage way 
less as a commitment and more as a commodity. That is, marriage has become just another way we live out a goods and services economy, right? We ask, does this person make me look good? Does he or she help me feel good? Do they help me live out my bottom line of self-fulfillment and platform building? And if they don't, we can We can. Our culture tends to discard marriage because marriage is just another service we get rid of like a broken television when we aren't getting out of it what we want. In our marriage, in our culture then, marriage isn't the ultimate thing. It's like so far from that. It's like fifth, sixth down the line. But according to the Bible, the marriage relationship isn't that. It's not last. Oh, but it isn't first either. And here's why. At the end of this teaching, Paul puts it like this. Verse 31. He picks up Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul's picking up Genesis 2. He's affirming what Moses and Jesus have already taught, which is that when a man and a woman marry, they become each other's MIP, most important person. Marriage is not in fifth, fourth, third, not behind career, not behind children. It's all the way up. Second place. What do I mean? Look at what he says, verse 32. This marriage is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. He's saying the only way to understand what you're really looking for in marriage is to see what Christ has done for you. And what has he done? Let's ask, what's he done? In the garden, the night he was betrayed with his disciples, Jesus Christ goes into the garden and he says to the people he's loved and supported, Hupatasso, then away for three years. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I feel like I'm dying. Would you come pray with me just for an hour? And what did all of them do? They fell asleep on him. He came to his own and his own did not receive them. And yet Jesus Christ was faithful to them faithful to the point of death for unfaithful friends, unfaithful followers, and an unfaithful bride. Why? He left his father. He left his father, didn't he? Became, gave his life for us so he could become united to us that the two now could become one so that we could become his body that he loves and he cares for. An old hymn puts it perfectly like this. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her. And for her life, he died. Jesus did it for love. And then when he realized that the mystery of marriage, which is that marriage, even when it's at its best, is all but a dim hint once more. A dim hint of what it means to fall into the arms of Jesus Christ for forever. When you realize that, you can put marriage in its proper relational place. You can be faithful to your vows because Christ was faithful to you. But you have an upstream covenant with the Prince of Heaven whose love takes center stage, whose love define you first. And because of that, let's apply this in three ways real quick. Number one, if you're single and you're struggling, you're afraid perhaps, afraid of getting married. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Two, if you're married and struggling, there's always hope. Third, if you're happily married, it means you won't make your spouse into an idol. Marriage is a profound mystery. 
at the center of it, maybe even the bottom of it, is the mystery of the union between Christ and his people, Christ and his church, Christ and you and me. I hope you can say amen to at least one part of this. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, we just love you. We thank you for this, this mystery that marriage points us to, what you came and you've done for us first. Lord, I am praying today for grace and strength for us to live this out, and maybe even most of all, for hope in every heart today. Where there's a resurrection, Lord, let there be. Whether there's a passing through a death, let there be. Whether there's new life, let it come. Lord, we embrace the journey we're on with one another today. Pray these things. Thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.